Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Thrivebetic Podcast. My name is Kate and I am your host. And today I am talking with Maya. Um, I met her on Instagram and she actually does not have type 1 diabetes, but she has type 3C. So I actually never knew that there was more than really like three types, um, just like type 1, type 2, and then gestational. Um, But ever since I joined the Instagram community, I have learned a ton about diabetes and just like all the different types that there are and kind of what they mean and all of that. So I was super excited to have Maya on the podcast because she goes into her experience with living with diabetes and what exactly type 3C is and kind of just how the diabetes community can be more inclusive to all the different kinds. So it was a great conversation. Um, Aside from that, there's not a ton going on in my life. Um, like I've mentioned before, I am moving in about a month, so I am preparing for that. And next week, I'm unsure if I will have a podcast on Monday. I'm thinking about just doing a solo episode, maybe on some of my thoughts around diabetes mental health or something like that, but I'm not completely sure. I haven't done a solo episode since... The very first one. So I'm kind of thinking about that, but I'm not sure. And then aside from that, I do have an exciting guest coming onto the podcast, but we're not having the interview until um, next Monday. And then I'll have to edit it and all of that, of course. So it will come out in a couple weeks, but I'm excited about that and everything else that's to come. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Maya. Hi, Maya. How are you today? Good, good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to hear your story and everything that you know about um, type 3C. Yeah, I'm so glad to be on here and so glad to finally meet you on Zoom. I know we've met on Instagram, so this is so cool. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I agree. I love doing this. So just to start, like, tell me um, just about your diagnosis story and what happened. Yeah, definitely. So, um, there's various different ways that someone can get diagnosed with type 3C. Um, That is why I feel like this is so unique because you'll meet so many different people um, that, you know, were diagnosed a certain way. But the way I was diagnosed, um, I was born with congenital hyperinsulism. That's a a long word to say really fast. But uh, pretty much what it is, is it's a rare disease. Um, It's genetic. Um, and it only affects uh, pretty much infants. Um, there are some times where you can get diagnosed a little bit later in life, um, but it's still very, very, very young children. Um, and so within the first couple hours of my birth, um, my the doctors noticed that my blood sugars were not going up because obviously when you're born, they do X amount of tests, you know. Um, and so they were monitoring me and then they started doing a bunch of testing and then they came to a conclusion that I had a congenital hyperinsulism, which means that the pancreas is overproducing insulin. So it's causing severe hypoglycemia and you have these hypos, especially like when you're fasting. Um, so no matter like how much, you know, they're giving the babies like sugar and like eating, nothing will raise the blood sugars for more than X amount of time. Um, so obviously I, I was born a long time ago, 20 years ago. So in the early nineties, like there really wasn't much, um, you know, 
the sorry, the genetic testing they have now is way different than they did back then. Um, so they were kind of just like limited on what they could do. Um, so right away, they started putting me on this certain medication that would hopefully keep the blood sugars um, again range. Um, and that medication has a lot of different side effects. And generally, it does, it's kind of like, it depends on what type of congenital hyperinsulism you're diagnosed with. That's like the umbrella, you know, um, but there's various different genetic forms. So the specific form that I had, uh, the medication was not working. So they ended up doing like three surgeries in total. Um, and the first surgery, they took out um, half of the pancreas and that kind of, it failed drastically. Um, the blood sugars, like my body kind of just came back with a vengeance and it kept, um, ha- I kept having very severe lows. Um, so then they did another um, surgery and that still didn't work. Um, and then they finally took out the remainder of the pancreas. I had my entire pancreas um, removed by like eight months old. Um, and they said, my parents told me that at the very last surgery, they kind of kept me open for X amount of hours because they wanted to make sure the blood sugars would stay stable. Um, and after, I think my dad said I was open for like, uh, it was like, I think over six hours or something like that. They finally like closed me up. They're like, okay, like we got some stability. Um, and so after that, then I became, you know, a insulin dependent diabetic, you know, I started having, um, my parents started learning like how to manage blood sugars with insulin. And then obviously I started taking digestive enzymes as well because the pancreas, um, does two different things. It obviously uh, produces insulin, but it also helps with digestion. So when you don't have it, like, um, you need to supplement that portion with the enzymes. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's, it's super rare. Um, I think it's only like one in, it depends on, I think I've seen statistics like one in 50,000 or something, something like that. I forget. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it is very rare. Um, and, um, but what's kind of cool about it now is that since I've been, obviously since I was born, there's been a lot of other children that have been diagnosed with it. So there's actually a huge organization that, um, does a lot of research on it. And it's also um, acts as a support group for children with congenital hyperinsulism. And yeah, so it's really cool. And what's different about like the, the type that I had. So most kids, if they respond well to the medication, the dioxide they give them, um, they usually outgrow this, or they'll have to take the medication for X amount of years in their life. Surgery is not always the end result. Um, Surgery is like the last and final option. And so you still like, now they have more advancements, but you do still meet kids that are born with this that end up having pancreatectomies, but it's not as, I guess, common as it used to, not because they have more, um, you know, uh, treatment options. So mine was just the worst case scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting. And I mean, three surgeries at like eight months old, that's a lot on the body. So I'm assuming there's not anyone in your family that has this too, not really something that like runs in the family. No, and they don't really know, like what causes it. They like scientists have not figured out it's genetic. 
And they can kind of now with technology, they can kind of figure out what side it's coming from with the parents. At that time, it was harder to tell. Um, but um, yeah, there's just there's no real there's nothing that the mom does during pregnancy. Like they don't really know what causes it. It's just one of those things, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I feel like that's even with type one, like they don't know for sure what things cause it It can be different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So then that was the early nineties that all that was happening. And I've heard this from other parents who have like an infant that was diagnosed with um, diabetes. And for me, like I was diagnosed when I was 11, so I could like regulate it more and stuff like that. But I've heard that it's really difficult for parents because obviously an infant can't like tell you what's going on. And now we have a lot more technology that can help with that. But what was that like for your parents? And like, how did they have to just do shots and just like figure it out? Yeah. So, um, back when I, my early years of, uh, diabetes management. Um, the first 10 years I was strictly on the, um, like multi-daily injections. Um, and obviously I used different insulin that was available back then. Like we don't use the same ones obviously anymore, but, um, I remember we, my mom was so strict with like the little daily log log book that we had. So she would literally write down everything like carbs, insulin, like just everything. She was so good about, uh, you know, monitoring it with like a log book. Um, but I just remember it was, it was a lot like my early childhood memories consisted of me learning how to become independent because my mom was like, I'm not always going to be here for you. You know, like we, like she was so good about making me feel that diabetes doesn't define me, you know? Um, and she's just like, you know, it's just a part of your life. Like we'll just have to make certain adjustments, but you could still live a healthy and normal life, you know? So I never like as a very young child, I didn't feel different than the other kids. You know, I just thought I was like, Oh, I'm just diabetic. I'm just testing my blood sugar, just giving my medication, you know? Um, but I just remember like always having to test my blood sugar. Obviously I think I tested it like when I was really young, probably like at least eight times a day. Cause I was so active, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in early like elementary school, she would come during lunchtime and give my, in- um, give me my insulin because we didn't have a school nurse at the time. Um, so she was really on top of like my teachers too. I had a uh, 504 plan at the time, I believe it was. And then, so obviously I had some accommodations, um, but my teachers were great growing up. I felt very supported by them. So I think that kind of like, it set the tone growing up with diabetes. Cause I, I was very grateful to have that support from teachers and from parents, you know? Um, so I didn't feel like, um, any like different than other kids around me, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was, that was cool. Like I had a, I had a pretty like positive experience, like, um, early childhood, you know? Um, and I just remember my mom also would have to like wake up at least three times during the night to test my blood sugars. She was really on top of it. Like it was like the 10 o'clock, 12 midnight, and then 2 AM type of thing, you know? Wow. So I, I give props to parents because, now, like as an adult and meeting parents with young children with diabetes, I'm like, there's so much that they do and so much that they sacrifice. Like you don't really realize it when you're that young mm-hmm. until you're older, you know? So I just give such huge props because it, you know, they do so much and they have so much to think about, you know? So it's kind of crazy. Yeah. As an adult, I mean, looking back. 
Yeah, it's already like so stressful. I can imagine having an infant and then also dealing with diabetes on top of that. Like that would be so much stress. And especially it being the early 90s when there was not as much technology available and maybe even not as much support as there is now either. Yeah, that would be difficult. Definitely. Yeah, it was there. It's way different than it used to be, I feel like. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you so you said that there is more um, like medications that they have out there for type 3C to like avoid surgeries? Do you think that like maybe any of those would have like worked for you if they had been available? Yeah, I would specifically just for congenital hyperinsulin. They have like um, every person that's diagnosed with type 3C has like a different, you know, story, but like specifically for that, they have, you know, they have dioxide now. Um, and then they also, I think what makes it easier, um, they also use some of the same management techniques that diabetics do. Like they use sensors as well to help with managing blood sugars. So I think there's just more information out there for congenital hyperinsulin insulism that there used to be mm-hmm. um so and it also really depends on what um form you're diagnosed with that is actually what really like determines you know if you end up needing a pancreatectomy you know what I mean um so it kind of they just have more information on it now um so I think that's what just makes a difference you know Okay. So with that, like you said that there's even different kinds like underneath that umbrella. So mm-hmm. is there like, tons of different kinds or? How yeah, there's like, probably like, I think I have to double check. I think I've seen at least eight different forms. Wow. Yeah. I, know, but, yeah. Oh, do you ahead, know sorry. the specific <laughs> form that you have? Yes. And let me look it up. It, they used to, they used to call it nasidioblastosis. That's like the old school term. Okay. Um, let me find the newest term. It's like, probably I'll just send it to you. Cause it's like, I forget what they call it. Um, but it, that, what they used to call it was nasidioblastosis. That was the specific genetic form I had, but okay. it's something else now. Gotcha. So with that, the pancreas obviously does a little bit more than just give us insulin. So you take digestive enzymes. Mm-hmm. Is that just like a pretty simple solution? Like you just take the same amount every day or is that kind of difficult to manage as well? That's, um, I feel like that one takes some time to figure out how much you actually need. Um, so, and then you work with your, I think I worked with a gastroenterologist for it. Um, I know you can work with your endo with it also, but, um, so for snacks, I take two and then for meals, I take three, but you kind of like learn what works best for you. And sometimes you need a higher dosage than not. Um, but it's not like, it's not perfect. I'm not going to lie. You know, like sometimes I'll take three and I'll eat something and it'll just upset my stomach right away. So that's, that's the thing that like, I've noticed, like, if I do not take my digestive enzymes, like, I will be really sick. It'll feel like I have food poisoning almost like, sometimes I've had to like, even like, skip work, or like, leave work early, because I will be so sick to my stomach if I don't have it. Um, And it just, it also really depends on like, what you're eating. Like, so for for what I've noticed for my body, anything that's really high in fat or very greasy, I just can't digest. Um, dairy, the same way. 
Um, I'm not, I've, I've been tested for like celiac and all that. I'm like in the clear for that, but I do have like a gluten sensitivity. So certain, like certain things like breads, I can't eat at all. Um, there's meat that I can't eat either because, and like, I've, I've tried eating all this stuff, but if I do, I feel like I'm out of commission for a couple hours, you know, yeah. or even like a day or two. It just depends on how fast my body can like recover. So has that been kind of like the same throughout your life or does it change? Like, like, can you always eat the same foods and know that like they'll digest well and then some foods you just like avoid completely because they're always like causing you problems? Um, I've noticed as I've gotten older, there's certain foods that I've had to add to my list that I'm like, no, I can't eat this like how I used to, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, red meat was one of those. I used to be able to somewhat handle red meat, but I, I can't anymore. Like anything red meat related, it just gets me so sick. Yeah. Um, even pork, I, I like bacon and all that stuff, but like, I don't do well with it anymore. <laughs> so okay. it's just, yeah. And I used to be able to eat a lot more dairy, but not, not anymore. I would say I'm more like lactose in that uh, circumstance, you know? So it just kind of, I guess, depends, you know, how your body, like, obviously your, ba- your body changes throughout your life, you know? So mm-hmm. as of right now, there's, there's a, quite a bit of things that I should avoid if I don't want to have an upset stomach, you know? Yeah. It is interesting how our bodies change over the years and even just how yeah. our bodies react to things different, depending on even like the time of day or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially even with diabetes, like you never know how yeah. it's going to react do you feel yeah. like um, there was good education with like doctors and stuff like that growing up for like your parents to understand this better? Um, no, they said that they really struggled um, in the beginning, um, especially when I was born. Um, I was born in a specific hospital in Sacramento and they had to kind of move me all over Sacramento because they couldn't find providers that understood what was going on. Um, so they ended up sending me to University of San Francisco. And that's where I did a lot of my treatment at because they had, you have to be like, um, I mean, obviously it's an endocrinology department, but um, certain doctors will like are familiar with it, you know, and especially back then, like no one had really heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're more familiar with it, but there's still like, even when I go um, to doctor's appointments now, or like when I switch endos, a lot of them have never heard of it. And especially like um, gastroenterologists, same way. I had a gastro one year tell me that, um, and I stopped seeing him after like one visit, but he told me, oh no, you don't have to take your Creon. That's fine. Like you don't need it. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, oh, you don't need it. Like you'll be fine. I was so sick for two months and I had a switch. Cause I was like, I need my Creon. Like he told me to stop taking it, you know? Oh and I was like, I was like, okay. And my parents were pissed because they're like in all, like, I think I was like probably 16, 15 years old at this time. And they're like, no, like, that's not right. Like, we've never heard that. Like, I don't know why he's saying it. And they're just like, he just, you know, he doesn't really know, you know? And, and that's just what it is. Like, it's just so rare that people don't, they're not familiar with it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's crazy though. Like you would think that if a doctor was, planning on seeing you as a patient, it would probably be like in the notes or something like that, that you had type 3C and then maybe they would yeah. do research or something like that beforehand. Yeah, they was, um, cause I guess like a lot of endocrinologists that I've met, 
they've never really met a lot of pancreatogenics. So that's like another term for type 3C. And that's the more medical term is a pancreatogenic diabetic. So they don't, um, they usually haven't really met one in their career, you know? <laughs> yeah. So when you go to an endocrinologist or a gastroenterologist, is that how you say it? Gast- gastroenterologist. Yeah. Okay. Gastroenterologist. <laughs> um, do you feel like you have to like explain yourself a lot and like explain to them what type 3C is and like what your specific needs are? Yeah, I, I do. I usually just tell them I'm like, oh, I've been diabetic for X amount of years. I don't I don't say like a number or anything. And they're like, oh, like what type are you? And I just said, well, I'm a pancreatic diabetic. Like I had my pancreas removed. And then they always kind of look at me like funny, like, okay. They're like, so you treat it like a type one. I said, I mean, yeah, I give insulin, but I also take digestive enzymes. And it's always kind of like, it's always a little awkward. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. They kind of just look at me like, oh, that's, that's different. Like we haven't met someone like that yet. You know, I'm just like, yeah. And then they go on like asking me like, okay, so how are you diagnosed? Like, and they just kind of want to know the backstory because they've just never have met someone, you know? Yeah. So, um, I recently just changed endos and I had to go get my referral from my, uh, primary care physician. And she was just like blown away. She's like, like what happened? Like you were this young. I was like, yeah, <laughs> like it was just like a deer in the headlight. Look, like she did not understand, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So do you like when you're talking to other people about diabetes do you kind of are you explaining that a lot or do you kind of just leave it at like I'm diabetic or what do you say um I usually just say I'm diabetic unless they ask they're like oh like when were you diagnosed or like what type are you and I just said oh um I had a pancreatectomy like I don't have a pancreas um so and I just say I and I usually like I try to keep it as easy as possible because sometimes it's um people like they like want to know more unless they want to know more then I'll go into further explanation but I just said yeah like yeah I had my pancreas removed as an infant like I had a rare disease and they're like wait what and I'm like yeah it was just it's a rare disease and, and now I'm on an in- insulin pump and I take digestive enzymes and most people kind of just leave it at that you know mm-hmm. um but I have I think the most negative things I've had are like people telling me like no that's not that's not right that's impossible and I'm like, what do you mean that's impossible? They're like, you can't live without your pancreas. And I was like, yeah, you can. Like, there's so many people that have lived without their pancreases, you know? They're like, no, that's just not biologically correct. <laughs> like, or something like that, you know? Um, I had my sophomore biology teacher tell me that in front of the entire class that I was wrong. What? And I was mortified. I was like, wait, I was, and I was like a good student. Like, I didn't talk back, but I started talking back. I said, no, like I literally don't have a pancreas. And she's like, no, that's just, that's not right. You can't live without one. So I don't know who told you that. And I said, I mean, I'm telling you that I have the surgery scars to prove it. She's like, well, I just never heard of that. And I'm just like, okay, like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, yeah. So it's, I think that's the hardest part is that a lot of people don't realize that you can live without one you know, so it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just educating people, you know, um, and it doesn't happen often that people will tell me I'm wrong, but there have been a handful throughout my life that have said that. 
Wow, that's crazy for <laughs> someone to just like deny your reality. Like, yeah. Yeah, because it just, it kind of just makes you feel like crap. You're like, no, like, how are you going to tell me I'm wrong about my own body, you know? Yeah, exactly. So you're on Instagram, obviously, and like you, that's how mm-hmm. I've found you. And you talk yeah. a lot about what type 3C is and just raising awareness and mm-hmm. advocating for it and all that. On there, um, I'm assuming that you've connected with quite a few type 3C diabetics also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I've, I've met so many and it's it's been so nice because it's like... Oh my God, there's others like me out there, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like the um, community is pretty big on Instagram or is it kind of small? I think there's like a handful of us out there that I've met at least, you know, like I want to say, I think I've met at least 20 um, diabetics that, you know, um, all various different diagnoses. Some I've met had like pancreatic cancer, some had, um, um, pancreatitis, like various different, like it goes all over the place. You know, I've, um, I've only met, I think two, um, uh, diabetics that had congenital hyperinsulism at birth and now are, have their pancreatectomies, but I didn't meet them on Instagram. I met them through another event and we just started following each other on Instagram. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Cause, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk, back and forth about like different things that we go through like especially with the di- the digestion part you know we kind of mm. always bond about that <laughs> you know because we always like oh like you know food has always kind of been like my biggest struggle um because I want to eat but there's just things that you know I can't I don't feel like I can always enjoy certain food you know because my body just doesn't digest it well yeah of course that's like a whole separate thing that type 1 diabetics don't deal with so that would be nice to connect with some people who deal with that same issue. Yeah. Um, why was it that you wanted to start your Instagram? Was it just to kind of raise awareness or talk about your story or connect with people? Um, in all honesty, I like, and I talked about this on Instagram too. So like I, back in 2018, like I lost my mom and my brother, um, they passed away and it was a really hard time in my life, obviously. Um, cause I lost them pretty close to one another, like time frame wise because there was only like a five month gap um and after that I felt like my diabetes management kind of just went really downhill because I was just dealing with so much like grief and loss and like huge changes in my life um and I wasn't taking care of myself like how I used to you know because my my mental state just wasn't there Um, so I created this Instagram page because I was like, okay, like I want to get control of my life again. I want to meet other people that are diabetic, you know, like I want to, if I'm around people that have it, like I'll be motivated to like get healthy again, like get get control of my my management. Um, and through this, I just wanted to start talking about like the type that I had, you know, like, oh, like I don't have a pancreas. Like I was like looking for others like me too, you know, cause it's like, there has to be at least like one other person on me, you know? And then long behold, the first person I met is my friend, Jen. Um, she, her name is Jen has diabetes on, um, on Instagram. Um, and she was the first one I met. And after that, it kind of just opened doors and I met other fellow type three C's on there. 
That's really cool. Yeah, I love the diabetic community on Instagram. And with that, like just being on there, that's where I learned about type 3C because I didn't even know that there was more outside of type 1 and type 2 other than mm-hmm. like gestational. But just mm-hmm. being on um, Instagram, I realized, you know, that, like there's Modi, Lada, type 3C, and then just like even more beyond that. Um, yeah. And I think like the big thing for me when I started my diabetes Instagram was like, once I realized that I wanted to like be more inclusive about um, talking about diabetes. Cause I think that especially with type one, like type one likes to like always specify that they're type one because like Mm -hmm. there's a stigma around type two and like all that kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've just like kind of realized that it's important to include everyone in it because we're all going through the same thing, whether you're type one, type two, three C, Modi, Lada, all those. And yeah. So do you feel like since you've advocated for it, like it has become more inclusive to where people are including type three C in the conversation? Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's a lot of different accounts, you know, like that are just talking about the various different types you know and it's crazy too because it's like it's a global thing you know like I've met accounts that are like in the UK that are talking about it obviously in the United States and it's so cool to see the community come together and be more um, inclusive you know because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day we're all aiming for the same thing we're all trying to you know learn how to manage our diabetes you know we're all you know we're all doing the same thing you know like there's obviously certain different things within it, but we're all just trying to, you know, raise awareness of diabetes as a whole. So I think it's so cool when I see like, just like a global, like global accounts, you know, talking about, you know, raising awareness of all the different types. It makes me happy to see, that. you know, I completely agree because it can be a lonely journey. So just having people to relate to and that understand you is huge. Yeah. I think you're doing an amazing job, like having this podcast and bringing on, you know, various different diabetics, like you're doing awesome by doing this, you know, so like, it's like raising awareness of diabetes, you know, so yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I have been wanting to bring on people with like other types of diabetes. You're the first one um, with type 3C or just any other than type one. I've only talked to type one diabetics thus far. So it's nice to talk to other people and kind of like hear their story and what is a little bit different and also what is the same. So thank you so much for coming on and being here. Um, Where can people find you on Instagram or TikTok or wherever you're at and learn more about type 3C? Yeah, so I'm on all social media platforms, um, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and I even have Pinterest. (laughs) Um, But my username is just papayabetic. um, So they can definitely find me through the same username. Okay, cool. And then I will link that in the show notes too. So yeah, thank definitely. you so much for coming on. This was great. Oh my God. Thank you so much, Kate. This has been so cool. So glad we got to meet. <laughs> Me too. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You know where to find me. I am on Instagram and sometimes TikTok at Thrivebetic. You can connect with me there. And then if you did enjoy this episode, I would appreciate it so much if you could leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcast and or follow me on Spotify. Thanks so much again, and I'll be back next week. <laughs>